Again, thank you for being here. I am Pastor Gus, uh, one of the pastors in the place. Uh, obviously, we set this service up. There's a lot of stuff that's been going on, um, and we want to be mindful of that as well. Uh, if you've, you've been listening to the news, there's upticks, people are concerned, it's cold out. So there's a bunch of stuff that's going on that are beyond our control. But I'm glad you're here. You, sitting in your seat, I'm glad you're here to celebrate and uh, be with us this evening. Um, I'm going to try to be as short as possible, and that's never something that I can do, but I will try. Amen? Just for the sake of everything we have to do. But one of the things I notice in reading scripture regularly and studying history is that when God's about to make a move, he tabs an individual. There is somebody that he has in mind to carry out whatever charge, whatever task he wants to get done. If you look at history, there are individuals that we will look at them and say, why would you pick that person, right? If it was my choice, I would pick someone else. We see that in the story of David when uh, the prophets go to Jesse's house and he begins to go through his sons and all his sons look like potential leaders. And and then finally God says, no, I, I don't judge on the appearance of a person. I look at the heart of a person. And eventually as he goes through his sons, he chooses David. Right? The, the least of these, right? the one that nobody picked. Even his own father kind of was questionable about why would you pick this kid. Right? So we have to be mindful when that God decides that he's going to do something, he tabs an individual. And I don't know about you, but you know, we're, we're, we're in days in which it's such more uncertainty. There, there's uncertainty going on. We're not sure about tomorrow. We're not sure about the next day. You know, I was just having a conversation briefly with the worship team. I teach high school. And going back for the holidays, after we go back, there's a question about us going back to remote teaching, which means that the schools will be closed again. Now, that's a big deal for parents who want to get their kids out of the house and charge us with babysitting them. They are in an uproar about it. It's beyond our control. And I don't know about you, but they're just things that are beyond my control. They are things that are above my pay grade. And because of that, I just, I don't necessarily want to put my hands into things that God is trying to do. And what we see in the Bible as we begin to look at it, we're in the final days of Advent. Throughout the time of Advent, you've heard from this pulpit preach how we are supposed to look to the past, but also with an eye toward the future. How today we look at this baby who was born in a manger, how all signs pointed to him. And not only that, but it was prophesied way before he even showed up on the scene that this was going to happen, which allows me to see as I'm reading the scriptures that God has a plan from the very beginning. He has a purpose from the very beginning. I don't understand it. I don't see it. Sometimes I question God. Sometimes I go into this tirade, right, this tantrum. God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And oftentimes I get this steady hand on my shoulder that says, calm down. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Why? Because it's not me that's in control, it's him that's in control. But I want to point to some Old Testament scripture that points to that day, that moment where this light shined in the sky. Now that's amazing when you begin to think about it because you have to understand how God orchestrated this whole thing. From the moment he made a promise in, John, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, he, he begins to put everything in place to make that a reality. If you're not sure what Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says, I want to read it to you just so you can have it. It won't be on the screen because I promise to be as brief as I can. 
But it says here in Genesis, and I'm reading from the ASB Bible, and it says, he tells this to, to Satan, right? Because after the fall, after Adam and Eve did what they did, he questioned them and then began to, to meet out what was going to happen to them moving forward, right? So women, if you have pain during labor, you know where you can trace it to, right? Guys, if you have to work, right, hard and labor, you know where it comes to. But Satan is told this. It says, and I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the first moment, the first time history in biblical history in which God proclaims something that now he's got to follow through with. Again, we're celebrating the birth of this child, this manifestation of Emmanuel, God being with us, God incarnation, coming into this world, being birthed as a child to save this world. This is God orchestrating this. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises. And he makes his promises back in Genesis. But look, because he says this, this birth of the child that ushered in salvation of humanity, a birth that had been foretold by men, who had written of him a hundred years before his birth. It talked about how he would be born, where he would be born, and what he would do. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. By the way, Isaiah wrote 700 years before the birth of this child. He prophetically spoke this. Now again, a prophet is someone that God speaks to, and they speak to the people. They proclaim this because God is whispering in their ear. And he says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And this came true in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 23. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they came together, it means intimacy, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. This is how God orchestrated this based on Genesis. He said, this is how, I'm gonna, this is how it's going to happen. And then it talks about the where. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. Bethlehem. Now, how do we wind up in Bethlehem? If you remember the story, and I'm hoping that it was been told from this pulpit, is that God decided that in order to fulfill what he has set forth, he was going to move Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Now, how would he get them there? Well, he used man's devices themselves to make that a reality. Everybody know what a census is? It's amazing that taxes is what got them to move. <laughs> right? It's what gets people to move. If you're retiring, guess where you want to move to? A state that doesn't tax your pension. You've worked all your life. Why would you want your pension taxed? Here, God uses this census in which you have to go and get counted in the place that you originated from and guess Joseph where he was from. He was from Bethlehem. This is what you have to begin to see as God is moving behind the scenes because, guys, he's moving behind the scenes on your behalf too. That There are things that are not necessarily right in your life right now, but God is on the move. He is working. 
And as long as you stay on your knees and on your face, realizing that your prayers have to change, that it's not about you, that God doesn't have amnesia. He doesn't forget what you need. Some people say, oh, I got to keep praying to remind God. No, God doesn't have memory loss. He remembers everything you prayed for from the moment you started praying. What we have to do is begin to change our prayers to include everybody else. Someone once told me, what would change if your prayers came true? And who will be blessed by it? Considering all we ask for, I guess you would be the only one that would be blessed. And this is why we have to begin the way we pray, because what he's saying here to us in essence is this. We're living in these days right now where we don't understand what's going to happen. But if we believe what I just told you, that there is a God behind the scenes that's working and moving, and he's putting things in place to bring to pass what he has already ordained in his scriptures, is it going to get better? No, this is our new normal. We have to live with it. We have to adjust. And if I know anything about human beings, we're able to adapt to any environment you put us in. It's the creativity that God has placed in us, made in his own image. We're able to adapt. Now, mind you, those who don't adapt perish. Those who are rigid, those who are closed-minded and say, ah, oh, no, nah, that's not the way it is. I'm just going to keep my blinders on and keep running forward. Those are the ones that have a difficult time with change. Those are the people that can't change. But this miraculous event that took place happened because there was this light. Now, when you see the story, there's this star that shines in the sky right over where this child is going to be birthed. Now, I, I want you to put on your caps with me because I'm going to take you someplace. Now, the only people that saw that light and were led by that light were the Magi. You know why? Because they studied the stars. So God reached them the way he needed them to be reached. And he reaches you the way you need to be reached. Whatever has your attention, God's going to use that to reach you. Whatever it is that has your attention. When he shows up to the shepherd, he appears as an angel. He sends down an angel to speak to them. There was no star for them. You see how we might get the story all discombobulated here and start throwing. The star was for the magi. They were to follow that. The shepherds knew where this child was going to be born because they remembered the prophecy, Micah. And they grew up with being told that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, so they knew where to go. And Micah also states that he was, going to be, he was going to be birthed in the tower of the flock. Now, that means nothing to you, but it means a lot to these shepherds because these shepherds were raising sacrificial lambs in the field. And they knew the place where these lambs would be cared for. The lambs were wrapped in a swaddling cloth. Those who were going to get sacrificed were cared for that way. So when the shepherd has this conversation with the angel, he understands exactly where he has to go to see the birth of this child. No star leaves him. The prophecy leaves him. What he understands to be true leaves him. Now, this is significant for us because as this unfolds, as this unpacks, we see this thing happening right before us. 2,000 years ago, this light that shined still shines today. I want to show you a video 
Uh, you can put the video on now and let them watch. There is a light that shines that leads others to the light. That light that shined then still shines today. And like I said earlier, if you look at Matthew chapter 2, it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They followed this light that shined in the sky long enough for them to follow. If you know anything about stars, you have to understand something, that the star you see shining in the sky, because light travels so fast, it's moved already. This light fixed in the sky purposely by God, because when God's about to make a move, there is the miraculous that happens. There is this light that stays there and doesn't move. People want to talk astrology, the North Star, blah, 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 that's fine. But I truly believe that God made this possible because of the birth of Jesus Christ. If you look at John chapter 2, verse uh, 10 down to 11, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and Worshipped. Now, if you know the story as it continues, they had visited Herod the king and pronounced this because, hey, if anybody should know where this birth is going to take place, it would be the king. But God doesn't reveal it to the king. He reveals it to the shepherds. He reveals it to the least of these, the people that are waiting with hope and anticipation of something awesome and great that will happen that will relieve them 
of the conditions they live under. He does this in a way that, for me, still reminds me, I mean, as I look deeper into it, and I look at the old prophecies, and I, and I look at the people that he revealed himself to in this moment, it kind of takes me back to think God chose shepherds in the field to reveal himself. And for me, that helps me to realize that this light that shined leads others to this light. And again, we sit here with an eye to the past, celebrating what happened on this day. Now, I'm not here to discuss date or time or month. I just know that it happened. And we can get into that theological study some other time. If you choose to, that'd be great. We'll have a class and we'll wrestle with it. But I don't care when he was born. What I do care is that he was born. That's what I care about. It doesn't make a difference where you want to put him down. And I don't care the year, the time. I know that he was born. And because he was born, I have hope. I can have peace. I can have joy. I can have a new life. Because if anybody knows in this room, I've messed up the life I was first given. And that's why the Bible says we need to be born again. We, we need to have this new birth. We need to have these new hearts. We need to have our minds renewed by the entries of God's word because if we're allowed to, to kind of work things out on our own, we'll grasp for many different ideas and philosophies, and before we know it, it's not Christianity. It's something else. And in being something else, we begin to offer sacrifices once again. And this is not about a sacrifice. This is about a relationship that has been given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's important for us to understand that this child later grows up, and as you see it documented in the scriptures, it doesn't speak too much about his early life. It jumps from him being born to him being around 12 years old, right, when he's on this caravan with his parents, and he decides to step away from it, and the most profound statement by a child who doesn't get busted in the mouth for saying it. Why are you doing this to me? Why would you do this to me after they find him missing? They find him among older people, and he's sharing the word in such a way that these older men who are sages in their own right are astonished by this child. And I remember his words because I still hold them and use them, use them, right? He says something like, wouldn't you know I would be about my father's business? Wouldn't you know this? Now, that song that was sung, Mary Did You Know, is so powerful because she didn't know. She, she had no clue. I mean, she was told, right? She had this experience, but as time goes on, she sees this child quite normal, just growing up. And now he's talking about, well, you know, I'll be about my father's business. She's saying, I, I don't understand this. She didn't know. She realized, though, that day on the cross, more profoundly than ever. I speak about this light because light has a profound impact on all of us. If you've ever been in a dark room, reaching to try to find a light switch, you're hoping that you reach it so that you can see in front of you so you don't stumble and fall. I don't know if anybody's walking into a dark room where some beautiful person decides that moving the furniture on a regular basis is a good thing to do. After you had the schematic down in your head and you know to go left and right so you don't hit the coffee table, but the night before, somebody felt really energetic and said, I'm going to rearrange the living room. <laughs> and you walk in thinking that everything is lined up the way you have it in your mind, and bam, you hit your toe. Now, 
I don't know too many people who are holy at that moment. Stuff that comes out of us is not, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it's not what it is. But it's the darkness that sometimes we have to understand that it's unknown to us. And, and, and if you read the scriptures, you begin to realize that in Genesis, the Bible says that in the very beginning, there was darkness everywhere. The spirit hovered over everything and then God spoke light into existence. He gave us a greater light and a lesser light. Light is significant for us. So much so that it just allows us to be able to feed, first and foremost, to be able to see. If you're in the dark, you can't see. But also, when you relate it to people's lives, when you hear somebody says, man, you have a real dark mood, that's not a compliment. You have this darkness about you, that's not a compliment. Your feelings are kind of dark. Your behaviors are kind of dark. That's not a compliment. And it's into those moments that God wants to shine a light into our lives. In fact, when he uses scripture to do this, he uses it so profoundly in that he says something that we have to really embrace. And you find it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. He says, you are the light of the world. He says that to us. As he's speaking to his disciples, he's referring to them in a particular way so that they understand. Because what? When he came into the world, what was it that he called himself as he grew up? In, 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 in John chapter 8, verse 12, again, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So, so he goes from this place from saying, I am the light of the world. And then as he's beginning to leave, as he's doing his ministry, he gathers his people around him and it says, you now are going to be the light of the world. Now you have to hold on to that because when you come to Christ, you become the light of the world. There are dark places that you're entering. There are places where you are engaging day in and day out that you can sense the thickness in the air because of what's going on in that place. And now God allows you to come into that place and understand this. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, when you walk into a room, you bring God into that room. When you walk into a place, you bring God into that place. When you turn that knob and you walk in, you're bringing God into that space because he lives within you. And now, now we, we can't just brush by that. Because if that's true, and when I walk into this room, I'm allowing the room to kind of control me rather than me going into the room and changing what's going on in there. You know, there's a difference between a thermostat and a thermometer, right? Everybody knows the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer, right? Thermostat, right, sets the temperature in the room. A thermometer just checks your temperature. And again, we have to be thermostats. We have to be people that walk into a room that, that we don't bring this chaos into the room, that we bring peace into the room. That in the midst where people are going crazy, that, you know, you know they, oh, man, this didn't happen, or, or somebody's going to open a give and go, oh, man, where's the receipt? <laughs> that we're able to say, no, listen, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. There is the joy that God places in each and every one of us so that when nothing around us is right, we can still rejoice. That's the message that Paul delivers to us on a regular basis throughout his epistles. In the midst of being in jail, imprisoned, tortured, and beaten, he says, rejoice. And I'm saying, I don't know. 
I don't know if I can. Some people in Christmas, they're missing loved ones. You know, there's devastation that's happening. And, and I, I think that it's because they think Christmas is about a tree and a guy in a red suit and likes and gifts. And they don't know this story. They don't know the opportunity and access that they have because of Jesus Christ. I think they put a star on top of their tree but don't understand what it means. I think they put the nativity underneath their tree and really don't understand what it means. I don't want us to be a people that get caught up with the frenzy of shopping and pushing and shoving and trying to grab this and trying to grab that. And it's great to give someone a gift, but the greatest gift that you can give someone is the light that they need. A light that's been placed in you. And it says here, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. This is the command he gives us. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There is this light that shines. And this light that shines is meant to lead others to the light. And it's important for us, and I'm not big on resolutions because two weeks into them, they're gone. I made a resolution I wasn't going to eat ice cream. Boom. Passed by the freezer, the supermarket, the Haggadans, call my name. I heard it whisper. And I used to be lactose intolerant. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to help you out, sis. Of course, because there is a pill now you can take. Right before you had that ice cream. You understand? We're always trying to find shortcuts here. Right? But, but, but I say this to say that there's so much going on that I want you guys to focus on one thing. This Advent season, this thing right now, it's about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Where is Jesus in your life? Is he first in your life? Where where is that relationship that you should be nourishing and developing and caring for as you grow as an individual to be that light in the midst of places and that you're not allowing people to kind of pull you into their world, but that you're pulling them into your space? It says... To let your light shine among men. Let people know that there is a light that led people to the light. These magi followed this light and they found it and they celebrated and rejoiced. They bought gifts. God revealed himself to them and they showed up and they had this celebration because they had a chance to see it. And they went back and they said, we've seen, we've seen this child who is king of the Jews. We've seen the Messiah at his birth. But I don't know what happened between then and the cross. It's as if people forgot. It's as if people, like like the obscurity of this child, suddenly went behind the scenes, and all we catch a glimpse is that about 30 years old, he drops his hammer and closes up shop as a carpenter and then begins to walk around the places and begins to touch people and invite people to follow him. And he's healing and he's delivering and he's feeding people. He's doing all these miraculous things. And then they begin to realize, hey, we found the one. And John proclaims him the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He says, follow him. That's who you have to follow now. 
And we'll follow him. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. Nah. You guys fell asleep when I needed you most. You guys ran when I needed you the most. You denied me when I needed the most. You see, we have to understand something that without Jesus, we cannot do the miraculous. We cannot do the impossible. We cannot say no to those things that we've said yes to all our lives if it's not because we have Jesus. Not that we can't do it. We choose not to. When you're in a relationship with someone, you choose to honor that relationship. When you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't do because you love him more than you love anything else. And Christ is sufficient for us. Again, you are the light of the world. The authority he has, he places on us. People are marveled by what he was doing, but he said, don't be marveled by what I do. Greater things you will do. You know, the greatest thing that you can do today is share the word of God and lead someone to Christ. The greatest thing you can do today, you can't climb mountains, you can't run fast. God knows I can't run fast anymore. Sometimes you think about these, uh, <laughs> it's so funny because they have a commercial and I was just, I, I must bust it out laughing because it's a commercial in which kids are running from, from you know, the Jason type, you know, guy, right? It's an insurance commercial, I think it is. And, and, and they're running, and one of them says, hey, let's just jump in the running car, right? And they say, nah, let's go in the shed with all the axes. Anybody see that commercial? Just blows me out. I'm cracking up. And it's like us sometimes. We, instead of running to safety, we run to danger. And we have to be mindful that we're supposed to be light. That's what he says. You're a light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He doesn't light a lamp to hide it. Nobody does. Even in the Christmas story, <laughs> that ugly lamp that he bought. He put it in the window, despite what his wife was saying. Anybody see the Christmas story? One of the great movies. He buys this crazy lamp of a leg and stockings. Who buys a lamp like that? Ugly as can be. But when God likes a lamp, he puts it on display. Why? Because he wants to show the world what he can do with those who are willing those who surrender, those who yield, those who just say, you know what, God, here I am. You know I'm a mess. You know, I've tried many things and, and nothing's worked. And I'm not, calling, I'm not coming to you as a last resort. That's not what I'm doing. I'm coming to you because I realize that I'm a sinner. And the only thing that can save a sinner is Jesus Christ. Nothing else. I don't know about you, but I've tried everything else. Right? And, and so there's only one that can forgive sins. There's only one that can save us. There's only one that can offer us eternal life. There's only one who could be with us wherever we go. There's only one who hears our cries and, and wants to help us in our situation. There's only one, and it's Jesus. So this baby that was born, and as we celebrate today and tomorrow, and as we look forward into the new year, just know this, that the child was born, but the child grew to be a man. And in becoming a man, he took on the manly responsibilities that were put upon him. He didn't come to do his will. He came to do his father's will. And in doing his will, he carried upon himself the sins of the world, past, present, and future. If you piled up my sin on this stage, it'll go past this ceiling. That's just my sin. He took upon the sin of the world. And in doing so, 
He bared the wrath that was destined to hit us. He deflected that, absorbed it all, so that you and I wouldn't have to suffer the wrath of God. We were once enemies. Jesus being born, Jesus being on the cross, made it possible for you and I to say yes and walk into the kingdom of God. That wasn't available to us because we were all enemies prior to that. Why? What made us enemies? Our desire to sin. You see, God is not down with that. <laughs> That's not one thing he's down with. Right? Like He's not about that. And we say you all sin, and then we go through these top sins. We start going about murder and all that stuff. And listen, a bad attitude, an indifference towards your brother, a harsh word, a haughty look, those things are just as sinful because we know that there's life and death in the power of the tongue, and you can harm somebody by the words you say. By the way you act. Like I said, I teach uh, high school. I'm trying to learn all this vernacular, and I can't keep up because they change on me so rapidly. You know, you know uh, uh, they, they said something the other day about, you know, this guy's walking funny. And I'm like, what does it mean he's walking funny? Does he have a limp? Right? Does, does he, is he awkward? He says, no, nah, Mr. Rodriguez, you got to keep up with everything. What it means he's walking funny. He's not being right. He's being fake. I said, why can't you say that? Why, why do you be so confusing? All right, I got to have like, like this thing. I got to follow this, connect the dots. We don't have to do that. It's not vague. It's simple. This child was born for a reason. This child grew to be a man. And in becoming a man, he walked straight to the cross. And he did this because he had one thing in mind. You. You. You see, he knew the mess that you were going to make of your life. He knew the mess that I was going to make with my life. He knew that along the way I would continue to ask for help, but wouldn't know what help to get. And I don't know about you guys, but we try some things, right? Like I, I try some things to try to alleviate pain and right, try to distract myself from what's happening before me, only to realize that no matter what I did, I wake up in the morning and there it was. You see, today I approach life differently. Whatever it is, with Christ, I can face it. Whatever it is, with Christ, I can face it. Because here's what I know. That if God allows it, he's going to be with me through it. And we also have to understand that it's not happening to us, but for us. I think about the picture of a farmer pruning. And, and you guys have had plants. You walk on your plant, you see something turning you know, brown. What do you do to that little piece of leaf? Right? And you're not nice about it. You, you rip it off. God does that with us. It says he prunes us. He prunes us. And slowly but surely, why? So that we can grow. Right? You got to get rid of the old so that the new can come in. So as you prepare for this new year coming forward, listen to me, this is not about resolutions. 
This is not about I'm going to try harder, I'm going to do this, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to do that. Listen to me. All that stuff is fun and good. And here's what it's going to do for you. You're going to join the gym for a year. They're going to take out money from your account, and you're not going to go after the first week. You're not. You're going to say you stop eating these foods, and you're going to say, man, you know, I don't know about anybody in this room, but I need a little favor in my food. <laughs> you give me bland food, I'm kind of waiting. I think it's a trick. I say, you know, put some salt, put some sazon, put some adobo in it, you know, a little sofrito. You know, <laughs> what's going on here? What we want to do is live the very best lives we can understanding that God is with us, is for us. He wants to care for our bodies. He wants to care for our minds. He wants to care for our lives, but we have to let him. Like you cannot ask God to help you with something that you're still holding on to. You can't. A lot of us are saying, God, help me with this, but you're still clinging to it. God is saying, let go. I'm going to help you. No, help me with it. I said, God is saying, let go. I want to help you. No, no, God, help me with it. I "I can't help you until you let go. So in this coming year, let's just prepare ourselves for that, right? I heard somebody talk about the other day. He says, you know, this year's got to be better. This year's got to be better. It It may not get better out there, but in here, And in here, I want it to be better. Because if I keep listening to out there, it won't be better in here. I have to listen to what God is saying. And what stays with me so much, again, is this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What's the purpose of this light shining? So that we can glorify our Father in heaven. He goes from saying, I am the light of the world, to hear, you be the light of the world now. You go out there and do that which I've showed you to do. That is the message in this Advent season, that we look to the past with an eye toward the future. And I imagine that as this child began to grow, knowing what he knew, the anticipation of growing up and offering himself as the ultimate sacrifice. To live with that all your life, knowing that that is coming, and still be willing to do it. That's love. That's love. Knowing that you are going to suffer, to be beaten, to be humiliated, spit on, punched, pierced, hung on a cross, shredded in a way that you're indescribable, knowing that that is coming. But you still go for it. That's love. I pray that you, again, as we celebrate this season, that with eye towards the future, realize I want us as a collective community to keep our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. He's working behind the scenes. Whatever's going on in your life, hey, be still and know that he's God. Be still and know that he's working things out. You're entering into relationships slow and steady. By their fruit, they shall be known. Take your time. Financially, the same thing. 
Begin to look at what God is providing for you because he's giving you what you need. There are going to be so many people in credit card debt. Come January, the bills show up. You had Black Friday. You had Monday, Cyber Monday. And now January, the first week, there's the bill. We want our money. Been there, done that. It's not fun. It's not what life is supposed to be. The greatest gift I can give you is allow myself to be a conduit to God's love. We've heard it over and over and over again. You can't keep it unless you... It's not meant for us to keep. It's meant for us to give it away. It's been given to us freely. Let's give it to others freely. And please don't give me excuses. Well, he's not lovable. Uh, I don't think you're too lovable either. But God loves us no matter what. Amen.